According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 25. I will get this hour's notes up and running. This is day 80, where we are supposed to cover chapters 26, 27, 28, and 29, so that's four chapters worth. Last hour, in day 79, we tried to get through five chapters, 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25. We didn't quite make it all the way through 25, so I'm just going to hit some highlights as we get started here from Deuteronomy 25, and then we'll proceed on into uh, 26 through 29. All right, so fasten your seatbelts. We, uh, we went too slow last hour, so we've got to speed things up here this hour. Before we do any of that, though, we're going to take a moment for silent prayer. We're going to call upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before You once again unworthy. None of us deserves to be here. Who are we, Father, that we should be brought into your counsel? And yet, Father, we are your children by faith in Christ. And I thank you, Father, that you no longer see the sinners that we are, but you see the sacrifice your Son made on our behalf. And so it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we assemble together to receive instruction. And Father, we call upon you now to open our eyes, to open our ears, and to soften our hearts. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Right, so um, real quickly then, I'll be watching the clock and we'll keep us on pace here. Backing up then one chapter to chapter 25, and it's a short chapter, I think there's 19 verses altogether, and um, yep, just a short 19 verse chapter. Moses is providing instructions. This is kind of the tail end. He is getting ready to conclude the third discourse. The largest section of the book of Deuteronomy is chapters 12 through 26. So we're right there at the end of that. And in these chapters from 22 to 26, Moses is just hitting topic after topic after topic after topic. Not a lot of transition between. He's just hammering away at these things that that really have been building for 40 years. And so... Uh, we continue on and we cross from chapter 24 to chapter 25. Moses provides instructions for corporal punishment as a judicial option in the courts. Well, I wish we had that today. If there is a dispute between men, reading from Deuteronomy 25 verses 1 through 3, if there's a dispute between men and they go to court and the judges decide their case, and if they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, then it shall be if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence, with the number of stripes according to his guilt. Now, we no longer have this in modern America, but we used to. In fact, even in colonial America and in not long uh, through the Civil War and on into the early part of the 20th century, it was only in the early 20th century that corporal punishment stopped being administered by secular uh, judicial courts. Because some men just need to be beaten. Okay? And, and that serves as a deterrent. He may beat him 40 times, but no more, so that he does not beat him with many more stripes than these, and then your brother is not degraded in your eyes. So as the point is, it's a punishment, a judicial punishment. 
It is administered impartially by the uh, by the, the state, by the government. It is not an act of vengeance upon somebody that was mistreated. He shouldn't take great delight in uh, administering the beating that uh, it's administered because it has to be administered, and it's limited. Forty, okay? The rabbis would come along and say, well, just in case anybody miscounts, let's go ahead and put cap it at 39. So the 39 lashes, which Paul received five times, the 39 lashes is, is grace on the part of the Pharisees, on the part of the legalists who said, just in case we miscount, we don't want to go over 40, so they would limit it to 39 lashes. And then they would give it to you five times, like the Apostle Paul. All right. So Mosaic law maximum of 40 lashes led to the rabbinic custom of 39. The code of Hammurabi permitted 60 lashes, if you want something comparable in the ancient world. And uh, the Assyrians permitted between 40 and 50 lashes. Again, comparable to practices in the ancient world. And even in the fairly modern times, colonial era, uh, you would put people in the stocks that needed to be publicly ridiculed and put on display. And you would have canings and you would have beatings. Even today in Singapore, they, uh, there was an American that went over there with some spray paint and he got some canings uh, on his backside so that he will never do that again. And uh, guarantee related to that. All right. Verse 4, Moses provides instructions for fair treatment of work animals. You shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. And of course, beyond the temporal application for work animals is actually a principle for wisdom in terms of paying your pastor. And uh, you guys do a tremendous job with that. Uh, But the temporal principle is a mark of wisdom. The spiritual principle is applied by Paul with reference to the support of a pastor teacher by the local church. And so if you want that, you'll get it in 1 Corinthians 9, 9, 1 Timothy 5, 18. Moses provides instructions for the leveret marriage. And this is why I didn't want to skip this chapter, because we've talked about it, we've had examples of it. <coughs> but this is actually the legislation that spells it out, that gives, <coughs> gives us the details for how this was practiced. What's called leveret marriage looks like Levi rate, but it's leveret marriage, okay? It refers to a kinsman. It doesn't refer to the Levitical priest, but it refers to a kinsman. So verses 5 through 10, when brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. So this is actually a form of polygamy. It is, it is ordered by God in the case of these uh, Jewish women to keep the inheritance lines intact. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And that keeps the name intact so it can proceed to the next generation. But if a man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders. Remember, all business is done in the gate. Legal, judicial, financial, public shaming, all of this happens in the gate. And say, my, brother, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He is not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. This is her recourse. This is so that the whole clan and tribe can then express their disapproval over his failure to meet his obligations. The elders of the city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists, so summoning him, he's now under subpoena. Speaking to him, he's now under a court order from the elders in the city gates. 
<clears throat> this is worse than a shotgun wedding. This is a, a city gate elders wedding. You're going to do this. Then, and if he still persists and says, I do not desire to take her, he's going to pay a price. His brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of all the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face, and she shall declare, thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. When we talk about deterrence and the things that will keep it from happening the next time, this is it. This is such a a shameful event. This man's going to carry this as his nickname, as his moniker, as his, his name will become a pejorative moving forward. So I don't suspect it was done very much. In Israel, um, his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. That's going to be his name because his brother's name is on the verge of extinction. And this guy who has the duty and has the opportunity to be able to raise up a child in his brother's name is, uh, is failing in that regard. So he has to bear that shame. <clears throat> All right, so this is, uh, by the way, when we go back to Genesis 38, we saw what Judah was instructing his sons to do with Onan uh, concerning Tamar after the death of Ur. The practice was behind the Sadducees' ridiculous hypothetical in Matthew 22. They had this, they threw this thing out for Jesus, you know, that this woman had a, she was widowed and then her brother married her and then he, she was widowed again and then the second brother widowed again. You know, I don't know how she went through seven brothers without one of them catching on that, uh, that she was pretty dangerous there. But that hypothetical thing they thought was this genius trap against Jesus, and he, of course, blew it away. Practice was also known in Assyria, according to the Newsy tablets. Uh, Hittite law also allowed, in the Hittite law, it was the father-in-law that had to do it. Not the brother-in-law, the father-in-law had to uh, enter into the leveret marriage. The book of Ruth is the Bible's greatest illustration of this practice, and we'll have this coming up because, of course, Ruth was a widow, and the opportunity to redeem the land there included the necessity to marry Ruth and produce an heir through, uh, through her. And that's what, uh, that's what Boaz did. All right, which gets us to verses 11 and 12 then, instructions for retribution, retribution for genital mutilation. Another fun <clears throat> message. Remember, any emasculated man, he can no longer enter into the assembly. He can no longer practice uh, their, their faith in the uh, Passover and Pentecost and all the, the annual events. So if two men, a man and his countrymen, are struggling together and the wife of one of them comes near to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is striking him and puts out her hand and seizes his genitals, then you shall cut off her hand, you shall not show pity. And uh, consequences for this. Verses uh, 13 through 16, instructions for business practices. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You know, so depending on who you're selling to, you pull out the heavy weight so that you can, you know, act like you're selling them more grain. You're just stealing from is what you're doing. And then when you're going to buy grain, you pull out the light weight so that you can buy more than, than they're weighing out in the scale. Anyway, it's just, uh, it's crime. It's, uh, it's fraud in business practices. You shall not have in your house uh, differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a full and just weight. You shall have a full and just measure that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Okay? Just like at the gas pump today, the state of Texas has an inspector that goes around and stamps those gas pumps because they're making sure that when you're pumping 10 gallons, you're getting 10 gallons. You're not just getting you know, 9 gallons and, and spending, especially with gas prices these days, where you want to make sure you're getting the full 10 gallons 
that, uh, that you're paying for. So those are the business practices there. And then verses 17 through 19, uh, reminding Israel about the Lord's intention to destroy Amalek. That the uh, iniquity of the Amalekites was not quite complete, but now it is. Now they have to be destroyed. So they will be blotted out. All right, that wraps up what we ran out of time for last hour. Remember, if if you're using this calendar for your daily reading, then we have this week and then we're going to be done with Deuteronomy. I'm going to teach this hour, two more hours this afternoon after the lunch break, and then Tuesday night will be our final night to be teaching in Deuteronomy. That's going to be day 83, where we will wrap up Deuteronomy 33 and 34. So we are that close to this next section, Era 3, the possessing of the promised land. And that takes us through Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and about eight chapters in 1 Samuel. So we are that close to the end of Deuteronomy. All right, now we can cover today's message. 26, 27, 28, 29. We've still got four chapters to go. All right, but Deuteronomy chapter 26. Moses reminds Israel about the importance of the first fruits offering as the first order of business in testifying to his faithfulness in bringing them out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. So that's 11 verses here at the start of chapter 26. God comes first. It shall be when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance and you possess it and live in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you bring in from your land that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. It's like a declaration of entry. I have arrived. I am in the promised land. God promised this. God redeemed us out of Egypt. God delivered us through the wilderness wanderings. God brought us into the land. We have conquered the land. It's time now to give God the glory for all the great things God has done. And it's almost like a declaration of loyalty or a declaration of allegiance that upon the arrival. When the, when the Bollingers came to America, they had to swear allegiance to, to King George because they were um, uh, emigrating to the, to the, the colony of uh, the British colony of, of Pennsylvania. So they landed on the ship in, in Philadelphia. They landed, swore their oath of allegiance in 1743, or no, 1753. And then uh, 20 years later, they fought in the Revolutionary War against King George. <laughs> Something else. All right. But the point is, is that they were uh, delivered, God was faithful to deliver them, and so now they're giving God the glory. And he gets the first fruits, he gets the first. It's not, well, let me reap and see what I get, what I need, and then I can throw some scraps God's way based on the excess over what I think I need. Okay, no. God gets the first fruits. And they're going to do this every single year, every single harvest, every single time that a crop begins to be produced. The first fruits of that crop go to the Lord. And you have no idea if it's going to be a disappointing crop or an abundant crop or something in between. You have no idea and it's irrelevant. Because whatever God gives is God's grace to you. And so if it ends up being huge, great. If it ends up being small, great. God's in charge of that too. But he gets the first fruits no matter what the, uh, what the increase might be. 
when we move on to verses 12 through 15, Moses is reminding Israel about the importance of the third year tithe, because this is what provides for civil charity, that third year tithe. And some of this we already looked at back in chapter 14, but we got the details here also. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, to the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. So they had a normal tithe every year. But every third year was an extra tithe. And this is the one that would help to support the, the charitable needs of their, of their nation. You shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house and have also given it to the Levite and to the alien, the orphan and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed or forgotten any of your commandments. I have not eaten it while mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offered any of it to the dead. I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Now, some of that might be odd to us because we think, well, if you pay the taxes, who cares? You know, but no, they, they are a holy people that not only are they paying what's expected, but they have to do so in the right way. They have to do so. They can't abuse it. They can't be manipulating things. You know, there's a tendency to try to keep the good stuff for yourself and, you know, let a, let a, a lamb slip through with a, with a spot or a blemish on it, you know, just use that for your worship or use that for some other thing like mourning for the dead or other uh, social events. Say, well, I've got to give this to the poor anyway, so I might as well just use this in, uh, at this funeral I'm going to. No, it's above and beyond anything else you happen to be doing in daily life. So uh, again, the prayer is uh, calling in upon the Lord to observe the integrity of your heart. Look down now from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel on the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey as you swore to our fathers. Finally, Moses closes this third farewell discourse. This really is the conclusion to everything from chapter 12 on through chapter 26. Moses then closes this third farewell discourse by reminding Israel about the importance of being a holy nation accountable to the Lord. They are different from any nation they'll ever meet, different from their neighbors, different from the, the uh, nations that are at a far distance. They are a holy people, and this is what they're called to be. So this day, reading from Deuteronomy 26, verse 16 This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart, with all your soul. See, they're not just supposed to be grudgingly obeying Mosaic law. They're not supposed to be gritting their teeth and saying, okay, fine, here's your tithe. They're wholeheartedly doing every sacrifice, every festival, every tithe, every aspect of Mosaic law with all your heart, with all your soul. You have today declared the Lord to be your God. You have declared that Yahweh is your Elohim. You're leaving behind the Elohim of Egypt and the Elohim of everybody else. Yahweh is your Elohim. That you would walk in His ways and keep His statutes, His commandments, His ordinances, and listen to His voice. The Lord, that's Yahweh, has today declared to you 
declared you to be his people. So there's two declarations that are going on. They're making the declaration that says we're here in the land God promised us. God's making the declaration, yes, you're my son, you're my child. The Lord has today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession as he promised you and that you should keep all his commandments. So after years and years of thinking about it, dreaming about it, for 40 years while one generation died, now this next generation can be the one to say, we're here. All right? We're here. We're God's people. God, we are, we belong to the Lord. And he will set you high above the nations which he has made for praise, fame, and honor that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God as he has spoken. Recognize God is sovereign over the whole world, and he maintains his control over every nation, their land grants, their inheritance. That's God's business. The, their appointed times, the times that they are birthed and the times that they are, uh, that they are uh, ended. Their beginning and the ending of any nation is in God's plan. Also, their appointed boundaries uh, is in God's plan, and we recognize that as well. And he's got a purpose, Notice, when he exalts Israel high above all nations, which he has made for praise, fame, and honor, it's the purpose of Israel to have the fame, the praise, and the honor. That's what God designed them for. What did God design the other nations for? What did he design Egypt for? What did he design Babylon for? What did he design America for? All right, we've got purposes. God knows what they are. Israel, though, is designed for uh, praise, fame, and honor and it's uh, no coincidence, of course, that secular historians never record it that way. Okay, Secular historians will never write the history of Israel as being the, uh, the blessed nation of God for praise, fame, and honor. They'll lift up everything else, like the Roman Empire, or the Holy Roman Empire, or uh, the British Empire, or the Mongol Empire, or whatever, and name your favorite empire that the secular historians will exalt. God says Israel is the nation for praise, fame, and honor. All right, which brings us now to the rehearsals. The rehearsals that we need to get into in chapter 27, 28. How far are we going today? We're going a lot. 27, 28, and then one verse of 29. That's just a poor chapter break at that point. We'll, we'll steal 29.1 to make that the end of chapter 28. Alright, so let's do some cursing. Who, who wants to curse this morning? Alright. And we giggle because we are horribly, uh, horribly um, ignorant of the ancient world and its culture, and in particular the seriousness of blessings and cursings. And we, we have a terrible thing where we think blessings is um, wealth. Blessings is, is prosperity. Blessings is good health. Blessings is, is good things that are happening in my temporal life. I call those blessings. And cursing is uh, saying bad words that your mom washes your mouth out with soap when you said a, a bad word. And if we think that cursing is just bad words we speak, and profanity, in other words, or vulgarities, if we think that that's all that cursing entails, it's actually not what cursing entails. And if we think that blessings is plunder, booty, good stuff, loot, you know, 
you got a huge haul under the Christmas tree this year, and so you think, wow, look at all these blessings. You're confusing things, okay? Because our blessings are the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. And that's, of course, in a church age approach. But even in Israel in the Old Testament, their blessings were not the stuff that God gave them. The blessings was they were God's people, that they were in relationship with God, and that they had the fellowship with God for Him to give them the stuff that He gave them. It's the relational blessings that we have. And just realize that's kind of small. Let's make that bigger. So Moses opens his fourth farewell discourse by assembling the elders of Israel and charging Israel to obey the Lord in every command. With all your heart, with all your soul, in every command. You don't get to pick and choose. Oh, these are the parts I like. I want to use these parts. And then those other parts I don't like, I'm just going to pretend they're not there. I'm just going to walk on by like I didn't see it, okay? Like my neighbor's ox that was running loose. Oh, I didn't see that. No, you saw it and you're accountable for it. And then we saw that last hour. You need to return that ox and take care of it until the master comes looking for it. So let's look at these first eight verses here. Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people. So these elders are actually on board. They're participating in the conveyance of this message. Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourself large stones and coat them with lime. First thing they do on the other side, and they don't technically do it first, but when they get to the other side of the Jordan, they need to set up this monument. Okay, think... Stonehenge, right? Think, think huge stones, these monoliths, these, these, uh, or mega, megaliths, okay? Is that right? Yeah, megalith, big stone. Um, and they're supposed to set them up and they're supposed to write the law on these stones. <clears throat> so write on, and coat them with lime and write on them all the words of this law when you cross over so that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So they got to cross the river, and they got to build this monument with a law written on it. So it shall be when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones, as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, you shall not wield an iron tool on them. It's got a different purpose. It's a different function. It's a unique altar. It's not to be confused with, uh, with any altar that they put in the tabernacle or any other altar that they've ever given instructions for. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer it on burnt offerings to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall write on the stones all the words of this law very distinctly. Now it's kind of curious and we do need to evaluate. Is he talking about Genesis to Deuteronomy? The entire Pentateuch on these stones? That's a lot of writing. But Moses is the author of all of it. Or is it only the, the farewell discourses? Is it only the five farewell discourses? Is it limited to Deuteronomy that has to end? The rabbis argue this back and forth. They've been arguing for 2,000 years now. Back and forth. Lime-coated stones are to be positioned on Mount Ebal with a Torah written distinctly. 
And I think it was the whole Torah. That's just my opinion. I wasn't there. And an altar of uncut stones is also to be placed on Mount Ebal. And it's there. It's, it, the instructions are there. We'll see in Joshua's day when he does obey this. Okay, It's not immediately. It's after Jericho. It's after Ai. But they will eventually set these stones up and offer these offerings. And they will do the recitation that they're commanded to do. But first things first, they've got to have the battle at Jericho and the battle at Ai. All right, verses 9 through 26. Moses provides instructions for the blessings and the cursings to be pronounced on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal with 12 specific curses declared and amend. Okay, they're going to pronounce the curse and then they're going to amen it. So we should have a lot of amening this morning. And I know we were capable of doing it. Maybe. I don't know. I just remember at Andy's service that there was a lot of amening. And I thought, you know, I like this. I could get used to this. All right. So let's take a look at some of these. Now, and, and I think as we go through these, and it starts with the curses, by the way, and then it'll go into the curses and the blessings. But these cursings, it's not about profanity. It's not about saying bad words. It's about what God views, how God views our actions and what God has to say about our actions. So Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel saying, be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. So there is definitely a transition that takes place. This is a momentous event that they are, they've always been a people, but now they are a people in their land. Now he has been faithful to bring them into their land. And so now they are a people with boundaries, with, with territory, with blessings and cursings, conditional upon how they function before the Lord. They're not just a wandering people. They're not just a stateless people. They're not just a people with a promise of something future. They are the people of the Lord in their land. And so they are accountable. You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. So this is a momentous event. This day you have become a people. Crossing the Jordan River was more momentous for Israel's history than crossing the Red Sea. And I find that significant. When I, when I really look at verse 9 there, talking about crossing the Jordan, entering into the promised land, it wasn't just the fact of leaving Egypt, but it was actually entering into the promised land. And that, that's what's significant. This day, you have become a people for the Lord your God. And so I, I just view that contrast and, and the, the, the imagery that that contrast speaks to. Because we can all relate to leaving Egypt. We can all relate to getting saved. That we're no longer unbelievers. We're no longer uh, slaves in the slave market of sin. That we've been redeemed, right? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We are a redeemed people. And just like Israel walked through the Red Sea, that's one way. There's no going back. We get saved, that's eternal security. There's no going back. We can never lose our eternal security. We, uh, From the moment I was saved in September of 1973, I've been secure ever since. That's true for every one of us. Now, so being a redeemed people is one thing. What about entering into rest? Are we still wandering in the wilderness? 
Have we entered into rest? Have we entered into the land? Okay? And quit thinking about crossing Jordan as physical death and going to heaven when you die. I know that shows up in way too many hymns, way too many Southern Gospel Quartet pieces, way too much Christian music uses Jordan River for physical death and Canaan land for heaven. And that's not the way the Bible uses it. We taught this in the book of Hebrews. It remains for some to enter into rest. And very few believers actually do because very few believers are actually disciples. They're born again, they're saved, they're going to go to heaven when they die, but here and now they are not disciples. They're not abiding in the Word of God and they're not functioning in the middle attitude of rest that we're called to function in. The faith rest life that we're called to function in, as Pastor Theme called it. So we need to enter into the faith rest life. We need to be walking by faith all day, every day, our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what the promised land represents and you and I should be there at all times. Instead of tootling out in the wilderness in our carnality. Alright, so this is the momentous event. Moses charges the nation to assemble on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal for the antiphonal blessings and cursings. Alright, fancy word. Antiphonal, that's, that's, uh, that's back and forth singing. Okay? Anti, uh, it's, it's one then the other. And they're, they're in tension. They're back and forth. It's kind of like when we don't do it well, but we try. When we sing... Um, wonderful grace of Jesus, right? And the women have the high part. And then the men have the low part. And they're supposed to blend together in a, in a, in a symphonious way or an antiphonal kind of way. Anyway, so the blessings are going to be contrasted with the cursings. And not only reciting them, but even singing them, as the case may be. So... Um, We have it described here. All right, be silent, listen, obey the Lord your God. Verse 11, Moses also charged the people on that day saying, when you cross the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Those six tribes get to stand on Mount Gerizim and pronounce the blessings. For the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So six tribes on one mountain, six tribes on the other mountain. Now this doesn't mean that those six tribes are getting cursed. It doesn't mean that those first six tribes are getting blessed. All 12 tribes, though, are doing the recitation. All 12 tribes are um, saying with their own mouth, repeating what God is calling for them to, to repeat. So it's words of their own mouth, and God holds them to their words. All right. You'll also notice, if you're paying attention, Levi was included there. Very frequently, Levi is excluded from the tribal listings, the listings of 12. Very frequently, he's excluded because uh, that allows for Ephraim and Manasseh to, uh, to express their full tribal status and still keeps the number at 12. Okay? But in this case, we have Levi that's mentioned and we have Joseph that's mentioned. Joseph is the combined Ephraim and Manasseh. So we're clear on that. There's still 12 tribes, but we're combining Ephraim and Manasseh together, calling them the tribe of Joseph. Not the only place that happens. It happens in other places as well. Even though they are two full tribes, sometimes they get counted as a single tribe so that Levi can be included, and that's what's happening here. 
Also, um, the man, have the, the rabbis really torn this one apart, trying to figure out what was the, um, what was the criteria. How did God pick shirts versus skins? How did he pick blessing versus cursing? How did he put these six tribes here and those six tribes there? And trying to find rhyme or reason is not easy to do. And, and I think mostly because the text doesn't tell us why. God just says put those six tribes there, put those six tribes there. The first mountain, these are mostly, no they're not all Leah's because Joseph and Benjamin are Rachel's too. And um, they're not all handmaidens because even though Simeon, Levi, Judah, and Issachar are all um, Leah's, some of these other ones are also Leah's like Reuben. So, um, and Asher, Gad and Asher. Anyway, there's no rhyme or reason for why they got divided up. In response to this charge, a Levitical team will pronounce a a dodecalogue of curses for the 12 tribes to amen. So they get set up. These are the ones that are instructed to do it. These six tribes will be giving the blessing. These six tribes will be giving the cursing. That's not today, though. That's on the day they cross from the, the Jordan. That's when they get into the land. They're just receiving the instructions at this point. The Levites shall then answer and say to the men of Israel with a loud voice. So in response to this charge, okay, in response to this charge, um, we have verses 14 and following. And this is where now, before they even get to the land, this is like a, um, a preview. This is like a, um, an anticipation for what will be when they cross over. And they, and they recite this immediately. This happens here as Moses and the elders are preaching. So the Levites answered and said to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Okay? They're going to get all 12 of the tribes to, to say that Amen. This is now Levi taking, uh, taking charge of this dodecalogue of curses. Okay? Do you know what a dodecalogue is? No, it's a stupid word. Nobody ever uses it. It's like Decalogue. Whoever uses that? The Ten Commandments is called the Decalogue. Okay? It's just from the Latin, ten words. Okay? The Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. Okay? But this is 12, so you can't use Decalogue for 12. You've got to use Dodeca. Dodeca is 12. So this is the Dodecalogue of curses. The 12 curses. All right, so the first curse is idolatry. Don't make an idol. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. The act of idol making. It's big business, big money. And uh, in Ephesus in particular, they were making these Diana, these uh, Artemis statues and making huge money on the deal. No, no idolatry. Uh, the second curse. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Okay? Yeah, some even louder. The... Uh, the blessings, though, see, we're not, we don't have any blessings in this chapter. These are all just cursings, 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 cursings. As the Levites, I think, are getting the people ready, because I, I got a sense that they know the direction this nation's headed <laughs> once, they, uh, once they do conquer the land. So it starts off with a dodecalogue of, of cursings before we even get to the antiphonal cursing versus blessing recitation. All right. 
The third curse. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary. Boundary mark. And all the people shall say, Amen. That's, that's theft. Not only is it land theft, but it's in perpetuity. It's changing the boundaries of the inheritance from all generations moving forward until some other snake comes along and moves the boundary mark again, right? Now, God puts the boundaries out there. God assigns the, the allotment officers to survey the land, and this is God's gift to these tribes. All right, the fourth curse. Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. You know, long before the Americans with Disabilities Act or other things that are passed in um, the gracious provision to, uh, to people struggling with different disability, different capabilities, uh, God in His law has provision that's there for the, for the blind, for the deaf, for the lame, for the widow, for the orphan, for the different afflictions that fallen humanity encounters in a fallen world. So misleading a blind person is cursed. Now keep in mind, what is this curse? Okay, what is this curse? Is this curse a um, a uh, you know like a Harry Potter curse? You know when Voldemort waves his wand and shouts something in the the Cruciatus curse or whatever I don't know what they're called. Sharon could tell you what they're called, but it's not a curse that we think of with sorcery, with demonism, with witchcraft. Okay. This is not a, a curse whereby uh, you know, your hair falls out or your skin turns white or something else. This is actually worse than that. This is God's pronouncement of disfavor. God's pronouncement of anti-blessing. It's, it's, it's beyond that God fails to bless you, but God is verbally, God is communicating your disfavor in His sight. Just like when we say God bless you. What do we expect that to do? Is that a waving of a wand? Is that a magic spell to make something good happen to you? Or are we calling upon God to speak favorably on your behalf? And when God speaks favorably on your behalf, good things happen. Because God's speaking favorably on your behalf. Or God's speaking disfavorably against you. That's what these cursings are about. All right, so uh, misleading a blind person. Uh, distorting justice due an alien, orphan, or widow. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, and widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Okay? Just because you can victimize somebody, that's double the reason not to victimize somebody. The pagans would do it all the time. This fallen world, whatever you can get away with, get away with it. Why not? Who's going to stop you? But God is the one that defends the widow and the orphan. God is the one that has tasked His people with a sense of justice to represent Him in their proceedings. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's skirt. And all the people shall say, Amen. You know, the, uh, remember the, the sexual offenses we saw in Leviticus 18 are actually marital offenses in, in violating the standards for marriage. All sex is to be within the boundaries of marriage. So then we have marital boundaries in those chapters. Cursed is he who lies with any animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Okay, remember, all of these are sins, all of these are crimes. The covenant nation uh, has banned all of this as part of their uh, ritual purity, as a part of their standards of holiness before the Lord. These are now the consequences beyond, of course, 
the other Mosaic law, most often it's death or other penalties that, that are administered. But if it's not death, what's worse than death? Living your life under the cursings of the Lord. How about that? And all the people say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret. And all the people shall say, Amen. Um, and, and also, too, um, the mother-in-law thing. With a lot of these, again, sometimes there was very frequently huge age differences between a husband and a wife. And very frequently there could be, um, especially with a second wife, a, a, a wife later in life, a man that was widowed that remarries, uh, it, it may very well be that that your father has a wife that's closer to your age and that's closer to, the, to his age uh, when, when that day comes. And uh, issues there. The point isn't, it doesn't make it, uh, it doesn't make it less gross if she's younger and more gross if she's older. This is not an age thing that says, um, you know, we just, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. It's not an age thing is what I'm trying to say. It is preservation of the marital relationship. It is the boundaries that are in place. Just like you don't put an ox and a donkey together pulling a plow. Okay? And it doesn't matter how old she is, how young she is, it doesn't matter anything else. She was married to your father. That's the marital relationship and you will honor that. You will honor your father and your mother. You will honor that marital relationship. And when she is widowed, you will honor her as a widow. And if she's young enough, sure, she may remarry, but she won't marry you you're the son of her deceased husband. Anyway, this is where Reuben got in trouble. Reuben had uh, slept with uh, his father's handmaiden and uh, faced the consequences on that. All right, we've got some more cursings. I got sidetracked with mother-in-laws. We've got neighbor. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. So... um, Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person. And all the people shall say, Amen. So, you know, this is, uh, all of these standards, not only are they personal sins, of course, every one of them, but the societal damage that's done, the way that it impacts the culture, it impacts the nation, why these curses are pronounced. And the people aren't doing the cursing. The people are witnessing that God is doing the cursing. They're saying the Amen to God's declared standard. Finally, cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. You know, this is like in James where it talks about being a hearer of the word and not a doer. Those that are hearers only delude themselves. Well, worse than deluding yourself is actually putting yourself under God's curse. Not confirming the words of this law by doing them. God didn't give Mosaic law so you could know what the law was. God gave Mosaic law so that you could do the law. You could live your life under the law for the glory of the Lord. That's what the covenant nation was expected to do in the Old Testament. All right, which gets us to chapter 28 the blessings and the cursings. Moses continues the instructions for the blessings and cursings of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal with specific promises for each category of divine faithfulness. Now God's going to be faithful both ways. Don't think of this in terms of, well, when he's blessing, he's faithful. And when he's cursing, he stopped being faithful. No, he's still faithful. 
He's faithful both ways because he promised both ways. He promised both um, outcomes. Mosaic law is very much a conditional covenant. It is an if this, then that. If that, then that. And so if Israel wants to have national blessings, then they know how to do it. They just need to live the law that God gives them. If they want to if they want the other side of God's faithfulness, he'll give them that too by simply not living the law that God gives them. Then God will show his faithfulness in that capacity. He's faithful either way. So, uh, 48 verses in this chapter. All right, we'll make it. We'll make it. Actually, 49 verses, because we're going to st- uh, take a verse across the chapter division into chapter 29 and make that the conclusion of chapter 28. All right. It shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God by being careful to do his com- all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. So that starts it off. Now keep in mind, he's not speaking individually. He's speaking collectively. He's speaking corporately to the nation. So in a, in a general sense, in an overall sense, by and large, is what we're dealing with here. Diligent national obedience will bring about national preeminence. This is what starts. But keep in mind, we're talking national we're not talking about here and there, right? And to, to say something comparable today in 2022 uh, America, right? If we say, um, you shall diligently study the Word of God and live it, being careful to, uh, to live your Christian walk for the glory of Jesus Christ, all right? We might, we might find a remnant that's doing that. We might find a handful of believers that are doing that. We might find a local church perhaps doing a through the Bible year with seven daily readings and seven weekly pulpit teachings and four prayer meetings and um, a a specific uh, focus on Bible study and application. Perhaps we might find a, a flock like that somewhere. But is that normative for the entire United States of America? Or is that hard to come by. Is that pretty rare? Would we say today, when God is viewing America as a nation, by and large, for the most part, are we a righteous people? Or are we an idolatrous people? Are we a holy people? Or are we profaned? By and large now, we're talking about the population at large, from the president on down. Everybody that's an American citizen in the land of America today Remember, if, if he could have found ten righteous in Sodom, he could have spared Sodom. What is the, what is the, the remnant pr- uh, preservation level in America and have we dipped below it at this point? Are we, is the remnant so small? Is the pivot so pathetic that there's no preservation value even left? And now it's simply a matter of time. I don't know. Okay, Because unlike the theocratic kingdom of the Old Testament, we don't have a high priest today with Urim and Thummim that can proclaim the will of God. We don't have a prophet today that can proclaim, thus saith the Lord, you're in the fourth cycle, the fifth cycle starts next Tuesday. Okay, We don't have those kind of prophetic utterances. But we do study to show ourselves approved, we learn the patterns and we see 
that if I was God, I would have wiped us out decades ago. Okay? Good thing I'm not God. <laughs> and we're still here for some reason. Probably as an example to other nations saying, don't be like them. So keep in mind, we're talking nationally, corporately, collectively. We're not talking about individuals. Like when they crucified Jesus, of course, there were 12 disciples. Okay, there were 11 disciples. All right, one of them was an unbeliever. There were a few others here and there. We know of two Pharisees by name. We, there were a few others. There were some leading women. There, were, there was a small remnant that accepted Jesus as the Christ. But the bulk crucified him. The religious leaders, the political leaders, the, the uh, tribal leaders... They all demanded his crucifixion and the release of Barabbas. As a nation, they rejected their cries. Don't confuse the remnant with the nation. This is dealing with Israel as a nation. All right. So if you as a nation diligently obey the Lord your God by being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you as a nation obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Okay. And this is where we start to get these, um, these tandems as they're given here. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. This is how wealth was accumulated in the, in the ancient world, in the animal realm, and this is how the estate was uh, passed on in the human realm. Be fruitful and multiply to uh, prove both to the, the humans and the animals in the uh, post-flood universe. All right. So blessings will come upon them and overtake them. And that language is powerful too in verse 2. Coming upon you and overtaking you. You're going to be so blessed by God, you're going to feel overwhelmed because God's blessings are overwhelming. National blessings are contingent upon national observance and divine service. So again, in the cities, in the country, blessed shall be the offspring of your body. Verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed, and you know, so nowadays, we, of course, we got hyperinflation and we got the price of everything going up and national shortage of chicken wings. It's terrible. Um, blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed you should be when you go out. No, seriously, we're teaching this doctrine and I don't know yet how many of us fully appreciate the, the precipice that we are on as a nation and what can happen to the economy, what can happen to food, not just food prices, but food existence, food availability, food, uh, and we've been so dependent upon transportation, refrigeration, just-in-time marketing and everything else when the supply chains break down and, uh, and the, the, the corner HEB runs out of food in the first 72 hours or, or less and the replacement trucks stop coming in. And if you're sitting here thinking that could never happen, how many other things are happening right now that we said could never happen? And they're happening. That's why we need to have this truth and be fixed our eyes on the Lord. All right, so when you come in, and blessed you shall be when you go out. The comings and goings, and this is what we're called to do. And, and same thing with shepherding, with the comings and the goings, same thing. You come in for rest, you come in for shelter, but then you go back out again. You go back out for work, you go back out for, for provision, you come back in again. It's the goings in and the comings out. 
The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you only one way and will flee before you seven ways. That's good. Okay? You want to be on the winning side of a war. You, want, you don't want to be on the side that's fleeing seven different directions. That's the losing side of a war. We want to be on the winning side of the war. The Lord will command the blessings upon you in your barns and all that you put your hand to. He will bless you in the land in which the Lord your God gives you. And when these blessings are multiplied, when God is speaking His favor, when God is saying these good things, then the good things happen. When God says, let there be, there is. When God says good things, good things happen. There is. And the Lord will establish you as a holy people to Himself as He swore to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. Are you concerned with what, the God, with what God is saying right now? I am. I'm concerned about what God says when He's talking. You know, when God said, Have you considered my servant Job? There was no one like him upon the earth, fearing God, turning away from evil. That's a blessing. God is saying good things about Job and Satan and all the other angels were eyewitnesses to God saying good things. And then the angels observe what happens when God says good things. When God says bad things, when God is cursing, the angels bear witness to that as well. So all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity and the offspring of your body and the offspring of your beast and the produce of your ground and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. You know how I know we're not being blessed? Our birth rate is below replacement levels. Russia's birth rate is below replacement levels. Most of the West is below replacement levels. And at, at that point, you're not being blessed. If you, if you do have a population increase, it's because of migration, because people are moving there because you're not producing the next generation. And as a culture, that's been the American pattern, that's been the European pattern, that's been the, uh, the Western world's pattern for a long, long time. All right, storehouses, an abundance for savings. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Who wants to be the tail? Nobody. Okay, you want to be the head of the nations. Not chasing after whoever else is the head instead of you these days. You do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left or go after other gods to serve them. All right, but... <laughs> one of the biggest buts in the Bible is right there. Verse 15. After all the promises of blessings comes the but. It shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes which I charge you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And now is all the cursing pronouncements. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country. And if you think, oh, I can run to the country and hide... No, the cursing comes in both places. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. And maybe you are having children, but they hate you and they hate the country that they were born into and they hate the Lord God that you serve. They want nothing to do with your church, your Bible, your pastor, your way of life. Cursed. Cursed, cursed, cursed the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd, the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. 
So your work life is a mess. Your home life is a mess. You can't even run away from work to have a refuge at home. You can't even run away from home to have a refuge at work. And they're just, you're getting cursed both ways. The Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. And the Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you are entering to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with fiery heat, with the sword, with blight, and with mildew. They will pursue you until you perish. And remember, if a Gentile nation experiences this, like America or some other that's not a covenant nation, we have no promise of a restoration. Israel can be destroyed and be rebirthed again. We have no such covenant promises. So the rain becomes powder. Um, You're defeated before your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but will flee seven ways before them. You will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses will be food to all the birds of the sky, to the beasts of the earth. There will be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt and the tumors with the scab and the itch which cannot be healed. The Lord will smite you with madness and with blindness and with bewilderment of heart. I think we're already there. You will grope at noon as the blind man gropes in darkness and you will not prosper in your ways, but you will only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. You shall betroth a wife, but other man, another man will violate her. You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant vineyard, but you will not use its fruit. Anyway, this is, this is pretty grim. I want to leave you on a happy note. I just don't see any. All right. Finally, verses 49 through 69, and then verse 69 is technically chapter 29 and verse 1. All right, well, we're going to run out of time again, but um, Moses prophesies concerning Israel's future destruction and dispersion, but notice with these dispersions is going to come a promise of restoration, and they're going to be able to call upon the Lord and be saved. Israel has those covenant promises. We do not. All right, well, we'll come back after the lunch break. We'll move on to chapters 29, 30, and 31. And then in the message after that, we've got the Song of Moses in uh, chapter 32. So the Song of Moses. That'll be at 2 o'clock and 3.30 this afternoon. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for this time. And I do pray, Father, that not only um, does this lampstand receive your blessing and receive the stability of walking in the light, but through us then, Father, that we might have impact among uh, our friends, our family, our neighbors, everyone, Father. I pray that as a lampstand that we have an impact among our neighboring lampstands, that uh, perhaps next year we'll have more and more churches doing through the Bible years. Uh, maybe in the coming years we'll have dozens or hundreds of churches with uh, with back to the Bible movements and and a, and a true revival can can transform this nation. So, Father, uh, it's all in your hands. And should none of that take place, then we pray, Father, for your uh, your ongoing love and mercy, Father. We uh, we do thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.